hope you haven't tired of parables yet, because this week our gospel reading is just full of them. So the last couple of weeks, we've gotten parables in a nice and orderly fashion, uh, just one parable at a time, along with a nice and orderly explanation from Jesus. Well, this week we get no fewer than six parables, and they're given in rapid fire with not even a hint of explanation of what any of them mean. It's almost as if the one or two parables from the last couple of weeks have gone to seed, And now these parables are sprouting up just all over the place like weeds fill a garden. Parables are kind of like that, after all. They start out seeming pretty small and simple. How hard can it be to understand a story that only takes a sentence or two to tell? But once they get into your head and you begin to roll them around a bit... They transform and multiply and grow until they fill your thoughts like weeds fill a garden. Well, this might be a good time to say a bit more about what we mean when we talk about parables. Uh, Since we've been talking about particular parables the last couple of weeks, but haven't really talked about parables in general. Well, that word parable is a Greek word, and it simply means to throw alongside. So when we read a parable of Jesus, we can think of Jesus throwing out a couple of things, laying them next to each other so that we can see them together. We can notice the similarities, the differences. Uh, These might open up deeper understandings, or perhaps at the same time, they might puzzle us in their interpretation. This form of teaching isn't unique to Jesus by any means. In fact, parables were a common teaching method for many rabbis uh, before and after Jesus. And you can see the logic of it, of course, especially if you're teaching people who have no formal education, uh, no reading ability, being able to compare a teaching about God with the experiences and tasks of everyday life, it seems like a good strategy to help people understand and remember what you're teaching. Uh, Even today, there's uh, a lot of uh, emphasis on this in many approaches to preaching, Uh, Some uh, preachers spend a great deal of time uh, finding and preparing familiar illustrations to help people uh, make sense of the spiritual truths that they're trying to impart. And while this type of instruction is good and often necessary, if we think of Jesus's parables primarily in this way, we're going to run into difficulties. Because one of the distinctive features of the sorts of parables that Jesus uses in his teaching is that they don't often seem to make his teaching more understandable or simple at all. For example, when last week we heard Jesus compare the kingdom of heaven to a field of wheat that had weeds sown in it, or the week before that when Jesus compared the kingdom of heaven to a sower sowing seeds on four different kinds of soil, his disciples didn't respond, oh, it all makes sense now. They said, why are you using parables? Explain these parables to us. Use some straight talk. Well, rather than being enlightening, these parables that we heard the last couple of weeks seem to be obscuring. They don't at once reveal the truth of Jesus's teaching, but rather they seem to hide it. Jesus himself says as much earlier in the same chapter in Matthew, when he tells his disciples in private, Well, to you it has been given to know these mysteries, but to the crowds it has not been given. Jesus says, the reason I speak to them in parables is that, and he's quoting Isaiah here, 
Seeing they do not perceive, and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. Jesus uses parables not simply as teaching illustrations, but also as confounding mysteries. Now, when we hear that Jesus is using parables in this way, it's bound to make us uncomfortable. It's bound to make us uncomfortable because it seems unfair or, or underhanded. I, I mean, it seems so strange that God would come near in Jesus Christ only to be intentionally vague about his teachings and choosy about who he reveals them to. I mean, what kind of a teacher hides his teaching from those who desire to learn? Well, maybe here lies the problem. For God did not become human in Jesus with the primary purpose of being a teacher, but rather of being a savior. Of course, Jesus did a lot of teaching, especially for his disciples, but his primary goal was not the increase of knowledge, but the salvation of the world. Jesus did not come to better equip us to make good choices for our life, but rather to bring to an end our self-chosen slavery to sin and to death. Jesus came not so much that we might have knowledge or power or the moral high ground, but rather that we might have life in the midst of a world dominated by death, and that we might have that life abundantly. What if the parables of Jesus aren't intended to teach us some cool facts about God, but rather to do the work of God in us? What if the parables aren't tools that we get to use for our own self-advancement towards heaven, but rather the instruments by which God puts us to death and raises us to new life? You know, for all of our good talk we comfortable and well-fed people would much rather prefer Jesus as a teacher than as a savior. A teacher gives us things. A teacher gives knowledge and techniques that we can use to advance our own purposes. A teacher shows us how to accomplish our goals, and then when we've learned what they have to offer, we graduate. We don't need to be taught anymore. A savior, on the other hand, is much less desirable. First, the mere existence of a Savior implies that there is something wrong with us, that there is a force or forces from which we cannot break free. A Savior insists that we need to be saved. And then, rather than simply giving us the tools to save ourselves, this Savior insists on doing the saving himself without really any input from us one way or the other. Rather than saying, choose wisely, this Savior says, I have chosen you. Rather than pointing out the path, this Savior hoists you over his shoulder and carries you to safety, as though you were just a child in the arms of her mother, or perhaps a lamb in the arms of its shepherd. And maybe that's why the disciples of Jesus, both in the first and 21st centuries have always wrestled with these parables handed down through the generation, for these parables aren't like your typical teaching illustrations. 
They don't give you the knowledge to make better choices or take control of your life. In fact, rather than giving you control, these parables of Jesus seem to deny you control. It's almost as if these parables are not dead bits of information to be digested, but living and active words, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing and dividing soul from spirit, joints from marrow, judging the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, or to paraphrase another piece of scripture, like the rain and the snow, which causes the earth to bring forth and sprout, not returning empty, but accomplishing the purpose for which it was spoken. For this, after all, is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like that tiny and insignificant mustard seed which somehow got into a person's wheat field and aggressively proliferated until before they knew it, their livelihood had become a bird sanctuary. Or it's like that tiny bit of yeast, which someone hid in the unleavened dough and it multiplied and leavened the whole batch, ruining the Passover flatbread. Or it's like a treasure unnoticed in a field, or like a merchant who gives up everything for just one pearl, or like a net dragging unsuspecting fish to be sorted. Have you understood all this? Of course not, at least not completely. For God's activity is beyond our ability to comprehend or to control God's work is as invisible and subtle to us as it is essential to our daily being and life. And so, unnoticed and unvalued, this holy work of God continues, unabated in your life, putting to death the old slavery and bringing to new life the new and true freedom persistently and insistently transforming and multiplying and growing and changing so that God's good purpose for you might be accomplished. Because as threatening as God's unpredictable and uncontrollable way of working is to us, it is all done for the fulfillment of God's unwaveringly simple promise to you that neither death nor life neither angels nor rulers, neither things present nor things to come, not powers, not height, not depth, not anything else in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ, your Savior. Amen.